I just got. It's Amy Grant's uh, Father's Eyes. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. But uh, listen, this is just some music that sort of kept me going when I was a, a teenager and a young adult. Here's Johnny Cash. I walked the line. And, uh, of course, one of my favorite albums of all time, John Denver Back Home Again. Great thing. But there was this group back when I was a teenager that helped me get through my teen years. Uh, they, you know, uh, my parents loved the Couriers and maybe Jimmy Swagger and stuff, but I loved Sue and Jeff Duffield. And I was really excited when Sue and Jeff Duffield came out with an album uh, here a couple years back, actually when I was a teenager, um, with Sue and Jeff with Jesse Owens. And so Jesse Owens here, this guy, this Jesse Owens, is none other than uh, Jesse Comrie's grandfather. And I wanted to get this album to him because it's got his grandfather's preaching right on here. His dad, his grandfather, Jesse Owens, had a huge ministry that went all around the world, just like Jesse Comrie's does. And uh, so, Jesse, listen, I want to give this to you as my friend, brother. I want you to have this. This is one of my childhood albums, and uh, it meant a lot to me growing up. But I want to give this to you because, listen, in honor of your great-grandfather and his ministry, as well as your ministry, this is Jesse Owens with Sue and Jeff from me, Pastor Dave. I wish I could be here with you today, but enjoy this. And, hey, maybe you could play it on your way home in your car, on your own personal LP player in your car. If not, maybe when you get home. I think you'll enjoy it. God bless you guys. Have a great day in ministry. So, Jesse, we want to welcome you this morning. This is the, uh, this is the album here for you from Pastor Dave. And uh, just wanted to bless you with that. Amen. Hallelujah. That is a treasure. Praise God. Thank you so much. Be sure to say thank you to Pastor Dave for me. Wonderful. That's awesome, man. Praise God. Praise God. I'm, I'm excited. How many of you guys are excited to be here this morning? Hallelujah. How many of you got? Raise your hand if you came expecting today. Who you guys are going to be blessed. 80% of you guys are going to be blessed this morning. Hallelujah. I don't know why the other 20% came, but 80% is a good number. Amen. No, we're going to have a good day. Um, I'm excited for what God's going to do today. Man, I have a word on my heart that I'm excited to bring. Uh, I came here, man, I, I came here to attack the spirit of fear. And to come against the spirit of anxiety because the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power for the tearing down of strongholds. And so that's what I came here to do this morning. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet with me. I need to pray because I need Jesus. <clears throat> I, my, my favorite meme, I saw a meme on Facebook a while back. It's my favorite meme. It says, people ask me, do I need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? Bro, you need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. <laughs> I, need, I need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. I need the Holy Spirit to get up and brush my teeth in the morning. I certainly need the Holy Spirit when I stand in front of all of you this morning. Amen? So, so let's just, if you would, just put your hands out in front of you and, and let's just begin to welcome the Holy Spirit to have his way in this place. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to have your way. Come, Holy Spirit. Manifest your glory in this place. Father, I, I speak to every heart in this room, and we just say be open in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for open ears, open hearts. God, I pray that even right now you would begin to move over every single person who's here today in Jesus' name. <sighs> Have your way this morning, Holy Spirit. We give you this time. God, I ask that you would, that you would give me the words to speak and that you would anoint them by your power. 
Because if all that happens is we came here today and people walk out and said we saw a good speaker, what's the point? God, we need an encounter with you. We came here today, Father, to meet with you, to receive from you. So, God, I pray that every single person who's here would not leave the same way they came in. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys may be seated. Hallelujah. 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 You guys want to hear, I know some of you have heard it, but for the new people, you want to hear the two-minute version of my testimony? Okay, three people wanted to hear it, so I'm going to tell it. Amen. Here's my testimony. My testimony is that I was really, 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 really dead. And now I'm really, 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 really alive. That's it. <laughs> uh, I, got, I got saved 13 years ago in a prison chapel out of a life of drug addiction, out of a life of drug dealing and, and all of this craziness. And, and, and the Lord rescued me. I had an encounter with God that changed my life forever. I had a vision of Jesus. Um, yeah, amen. You can clap for that. Amen. <laughs> I was sitting in a prison chapel and, and there was a band, they were playing worship music and nobody talked to me or prayed for me or anything else, but I was sitting there and all of a sudden I had this encounter with God where I could physically feel his presence and his power coursing through my body like electricity, like the man of my first encounter with the manifest presence of God. And when I experienced that for the first time, I said, that's what I've been searching for. Every high was a cheap imitation of that. See, the, the devil's an imitator. Right? And every high is a cheap imitation of the joy and the peace and the ecstasy that we're meant to experience in the presence of God. So when I felt that for the first time, I dropped on my knees in a prison chapel and I gave my life to Jesus and I was on my knees. I had a, I had a vision of Jesus. My eyes were closed, but I had a very clear vision of Jesus. And, uh, and the crazy thing is, is I had always believed in God. Right? Like, I, I believed that there was something out there that created me. I didn't know who he was. I certainly didn't think he liked me. Right? But I believed it was easier for me to believe in God than it was to believe that once upon a time there was nothing, and then nothing exploded, and then I'm here. <laughs> like, it was easier for me to believe the God thing. So I always believed the God thing, right? And, uh, but I didn't know who he was. I didn't know anything about him. I certainly think, thought he didn't like me. But when I was on my knees in that that prison chapel, and I had a vision of Jesus, there was no condemnation. There was no anger. There was no judgment. There was simply an invitation. Jesus said three words to me. That's it, three words. He stuck out his hand and he said, are you ready? <laughs> and I said, yes. <laughs> and my life was never the same. I got, people thought I went crazy. I, I'm serious. I went from, I, so I, I had to stay in for only about uh, maybe three more weeks and uh, and I, so I, people like I went from selling cigarettes on the yard like doing stupid stuff you do when you're in prison right to like on my bed reading my bible praying smiling at people and everyone's like don't talk to Jesse he finally snapped right but like but that was the difference I was born again I never like found religion and tried to be better right I was born again and I couldn't stay the same <laughs> to give you an idea to give you an idea of how quickly my life changed, within a year I was in Bible college. President of my class in the Bible college. A year after my last time in prison. 
<laughs> Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that in a life. Two and a half years. I was in Bible college for two and a half years. That's where I met my, my beautiful wife. I married the most amazing woman on earth. I hope there's some guys here who disagree with me. But I'm convinced that I married the most amazing woman on earth. And, uh, and so that's where we met. We got engaged. And two and a half years into our, our, our Bible college, the Lord called us to, to go directly to the mission field. So within two and a half years, or within three and a half years of getting saved, I was full-time on the mission field in Germany. Two and a half years later, uh, we planted our first church in the nation of Germany in a small town called Bopard. And then two years after we planted that church, we stayed there and pastored it for two years. And then two years after that, the Lord called us to come back to, to the States and, uh, and take over the ministry I'm running now, which is called Global Renewal. And, uh, and, and it was started by this guy. 20 years ago, my grandfather started this ministry 20 years ago, and the Lord called us back just three years ago to take it over, and, uh, and it's been an amazing three years. So in 20, so we went from, it, it, we planted one church in four and a half years in Germany, to, to then we came back, and in 2018, the Lord allowed us to plant one church in a close country in Kathmandu, Nepal, to in 2019, the Lord allowed us to plant 12 churches in three different nations, all in majority Muslim and Hindu areas. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm, I'm, I'm 13 years old in Christ church. I, I'm barely a teenager. <laughs> I'm barely a teenager and the Lord has allowed me to plant churches on four continents. I, like, I'm not saying this to brag church. I'm saying this because if he can do it in me, he can do it in you. Amen. Hallelujah. So that was 2019, and then 2020, how many of you know 2020 threw us all a curveball? <laughs> 2020 was a doozy, huh? In 2019, I went on seven international trips. We planted 12 churches. I had a similar year planned for 2020. I had eight international trips planned on the schedule, teams organized for the trips, projects all organized, all laid out. All the Sundays that I was in the States were already booked for all of 2020. Like, I, I had the whole calendar mapped out for the entire year and then march came <laughs> and everything fell off a cliff because people wouldn't even let me in the country listen if they would have let me i would have gone <laughs> but nobody would even let me in the country so so it all it all just fell through but what was amazing is in the absence of that i got to see these teams that we formed overseas you know we, we've been working so hard the last couple of years to start church planting networks in several countries and i got to see them move forward without me even coming I got to see in, in Uganda, three churches were planted in 2020 without me even going. <laughs> Two churches were planted in Nepal without me even going. Church, up until 2020, not one church had been planted without me coming to the country to do it myself, right? And so now I'm seeing our teams who have been equipped and trained and they're pushing forward in the midst of pandemics, in the midst of everything going on in the world, they're still planting churches. One of the churches that was planted in Uganda in 2020 already has 100 members. <laughs> And that church was planted at the end of 2020, right? We just purchased land for them this week. I just got the picture of the land this morning so that they can build a church on that land. And it's going to be a powerful church in Sereri, Uganda. Amen? Amen. So church, I know, I know you're going to have an opportunity to give today. And I want to encourage you. I've come to understand, uh, I've come to understand that every dollar that I invest into missions, is like a little foot soldier 
that I'm sending out to stomp on the head of the devil. <laughs> the, the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. That makes me very cheerful. <laughs> to send out foot soldiers to stomp on the devil's head. Amen? So listen, for all of you who are, who are planning to give, who are going to give today, I want to thank you. Uh, it's a tremendous blessing because we cannot do what we do without you doing what you do, right? We are a body and we're called to do this together. And the amazing thing is that when we all get to heaven, we're going to have a collective offering to lay at the feet of Jesus, right? Because every soul that's saved, every church that's planted is part of your fruit because this church supports us. And you support this church, right? You see how that works? I want to thank you guys for, for giving to missions. I want to thank you for everything you do. Uh, the other amazing thing that happened in 2020, the other amazing thing that happened in 2020 was that I was here in the area. I live just, just over the Poconos. And I was in the area a lot more than usual, right? So generally, I'm gone from my house traveling 75 to 80% of the year. Right. I'm overseas. I'm speaking in churches. But in 2020, I was home 75 percent to 80 percent of the year. Right. And so what happened was people started to come to Christ locally. I led some people to the Lord in a coffee shop. I led some people. Some of their friends came to the Lord, uh, family members. different. So it got to the point where I was discipling several people locally one on one. And I said, I don't have enough time to disciple all these people one on one. So let's bring it together. So now fast forward a few months and very much by accident, I now have a church in my house. <laughs> I never intended to start a house church. I never, like, that was not on my radar at all, but people just came to Christ and, and kind of gathered. And so now we have weekly services in my living room, and we have a meal together and communion and worship and the word. And, and it's just this amazing community of, of brand new believers. All of them are brand new. I, I, tell, I tell people, listen, no offense to you Christians, but you can't come to my house church. I don't have enough room for you. If I fill up my house with a bunch of people who are saved for 20 years, I don't got enough room for the unsaved people I'm trying to reach. My house is not that big. So unless you want to give me a bigger house, then you can come. Right? <laughs> but until then, so it's all brand new believers. And if you, if you come to one of our gatherings, it's amazing to see they're, they're on their face. They've been saved for a few months and they're just like on their knees, on their face, weeping in worship to YouTube videos. Right? I mean, th these are people who have never opened the Bible in their lives before a few months ago. Right. And so it's amazing to see how that came together. And now the Lord has spoken to us about beginning to multiply that and beginning to start house churches around the states. And and just and, and we actually he gave us a name. The name is called Acts Again. Acts Again. Why? Because we want to see the book of Acts again. We we are hungry to see the book of Acts again, a revival of just the simple, powerful gospel going forward and disciples being made and the power of the Holy Spirit in the gatherings. That's what we're hungry for. So now we've already started our second house church and we have several more in the works. And God even God even uh, helped me to develop this past year a training program. So this is the textbook. I wrote this textbook this past year for, for a training program called Global Renewal Intensive Training, or GRIT, right? And, uh, and so we've run this twice. We're running it for the second time right now. It's been an amazing tool just to equip people to begin to make disciples. 
Uh, that, that's the vision. Uh, you know, there are so many, even in this, in this room, in the churches, there are so many Christians who have come to a level of maturity in, in the Lord and they've overcome their sin issues and, and you know, they, they know the word and yet, and yet a lot of people have not stepped over into that next stage of growth to begin to make disciples. Right, so we want to equip people to begin doing that, right? Um, so you could you could check out the the textbook on the way. It's not for sale because it goes with the course, but you can flip through it, see what's in the course, and if you're interested, you can sign up for the course the next time we run it on the way out this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to share I want to share one one testimony real quick, real real quick from 2019, and then we're going to get into the word. But this is going to tie into what I want to preach on today. So in 2019, uh, we, we, our biggest project in 2019 was in Kathmandu, Nepal. And we planned this project for six months. Like we trained 10 church planters. We, we you know, we were going to launch 10 churches at once. So the, the whole strategy was there where we were going to have a, a, a central crusade that we planned with 40 pastors in Kathmandu. Going to have a central crusade. And out of that, we were going to launch 10 churches by giving each of the church planters buses to take to their neighborhoods and fill with non-believers to bus to the crusade. And on the way back, they would take them to where church was going to start that weekend. Right? So this whole thing we'd planned for months. I mean, it was a ton of work, a ton of preparation. Um, and so we get to Nepal and, and we knew that it, we, we know Nepal's a close country. No one's attempted a, a open air crusade like this. As far as I've been told, no one's attempted it in over 10 years because first of all, it's illegal, right? And second of all, there's radical Hindus who will oppose you. So, so we, we knew what we were going in. So, you know, everybody who I brought, I brought a team with me and everybody ha- was required to do a 20-day fast before we left. And even then, we got there, and I'm telling you, I have never experienced such intense spiritual warfare in my life. From the moment we got to the country, there was protests against us, right? There was radical Hindus who had organized and were protesting on the grounds of the crusade, and, and we weren't going to back down. But when they saw that we weren't going to back down, they began to threaten violence, Right. And so so they started to threaten uh, uh, that, that they were going to they were going to do violence to the people who came to the crusade. And so we still weren't going to back down. Right. Because listen, I don't bow to the devil. I have made a decision in my life a long time ago that I will not bow to the devil. I'm not going to back down. Right. And so he said, no, we're going forward. So they they literally they went into the owner of the of the crusade grounds. They went into his office on Facebook Live and began to threaten violence. So we had to go there and calm him down. Right. And say, listen, if anything is broken, we'll pay for it. Don't worry. It's going to be fine. We're moving forward. So we calmed him down. Meanwhile, the team is getting attacked with sickness, uh, demonic attacks in the night. It was such spiritual warfare. We were in prayer for eight hours. Every single day. We started prayer at 5 a.m. and we prayed for eight hours straight every day. This was the level. We had to. If we had not done that, I don't think we would have been successful. It was that level of spiritual warfare. We had to fight, right? Eight hours a day we were in prayer. And so then the day before the crusade, these radical Hindus, they escalated again. And they start going into government officials' offices on Facebook Live, threatening these government officials that there's going to be violence. Right? I mean, these guys are serious, right? And so finally, the pastors who we'd planned this crusade with, 30 out of 40 of them came to me and they said, we're not coming to the crusade. You have to cancel it. It's too dangerous. We're telling our people not to go. And I came to the place, church, where I said, listen, I can't back down from the devil. 
if, if I come to your country, this big, giant American guy who talks real big, I come to your country and even I won't preach here, what precedent will that set to the people? I said, I can't back down. If you don't want to join me, you don't have to join me, but we're moving forward. So then the day before the crusade, the government comes to our, our, our main partners in, in Nepal. One of the government officials, he calls him and he says, listen, we know you guys have Westerners. We know that you're organizing this crusade. You're, you're shut down. You can't do it, right? So at this point, the government had turned a blind eye to us because it's illegal, but they have better things to worry about, right? So they had turned a blind eye to us and, uh, and now they, they had stepped in. So, right? so now we have to adapt because now if I go preach on those grounds, I, you go straight to jail. Don't collect $200. Don't pass go. I'm in jail, right? It's over. And so, so now we say, okay, we're going to adjust. So, so we're not going to cancel. What we did is we changed the location of the crusade. The night before the crusade, we changed locations, right? And we told all the believers, we said, tell all your unsaved friends, tell everybody that you could tell, this is the new location of the crusade. This is where it's going to be. So the morning of the crusade, at 4.30 in the morning, somehow these radical Hindus found out once again where the crusade was going to be, and they show up at the new grounds of the crusade, which had a building that could seat about 1,500 people, and then a big overflow outside for several thousand more with the big screen. And so they show up, and they start threatening the guy who owns that grounds at 4.30. How many Christians you know, wake up at 4.30 in the morning for anything. <laughs> right? And they are 4.30 in the morning threatening this guy. So what does he do? He locks the door and runs away. All of our sound equipment's inside. All of our stuff is in the building, and this guy just ran away. So, so my partner, he called him that, that morning. He got there, and it was locked, and he called the guy, and he said, listen, there are thousands of people who are going to be showing up at your grounds today. We can't stop that at this point. Either you come back and unlock this door, or I will break it down and buy you a new door when we're done. <laughs> and so, so, so he came back and he unlocked the door for us and we had the crusade. And church, I want you to know that we had a three-day crusade in Kathmandu and there was not one issue from these radical Hindus in the entire three days. Church, the devil prowls around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. He's not a lion. The lion's with me. And he can only devour you if you bow to him. You have to come to a place in your life. You have to come to a decision where you say, I will not bow to the devil. We, we had a three-day crusade in Kathmandu. I want you to know 600 Hindus came to Christ in three days. The third day of that crusade was the most powerful service I've ever been in in my, in my entire life by far. By far, I'm telling you. And uh, before God, I'm telling you, right? At the altar call of that service, there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind right there i literally thought an airplane buzzed the ceiling of, of the building that we were in right there was this sound like a wind and when that sound came miracles started breaking out all over the room there there was a crippled guy who stood up and walked out, right? There was a deaf guy who, who, who could hear. There was a mute guy who could speak. There was demons cast out of, of over a dozen people, right? There, it was just one of the most powerful moves of God. Can, you, what, you wonder why the devil wanted to stop this? <laughs> and out of that crusade, we launched 10 churches. 
in the city of Kathmandu. And two of those churches have already multiplied. Jesus. Church, what would have happened had I given in to fear? There would be 600 people who are still going to hell. There would be a crippled guy who still couldn't walk. There would be a deaf guy who, who still couldn't hear. There would be, there would be uh, uh, people, who, over a dozen people who are still walking around full of the devil. There would be 10 churches that would have not been planted. Church, we have to stop giving in to fear. I have been around the world. I've, I've traveled. I've been in about 30 countries preaching the gospel. And I've seen in all the countries that I go to, everywhere I go around the world, do you know what the number one destroyer of the kingdom work is? Fear. It doesn't matter if I'm, in a, if I'm in a totally Muslim city preaching in front of the central mosque or, or, or if it's in the States trying to, share your, trying to share Jesus with your waitress, right? It's the same spirit that comes against the church in America as comes against the church in Nepal. Fear is the number one destroyer of, of the kingdom work. Church, I want you to understand something. People get ashamed because they think, well, you know, I don't even have a reason to be afraid, and yet I still feel this fear when I go, share, when I go try to share my faith. Church, I want you to know something about fear. Fear does not have to be logical. Fear is not reasonable because fear is a spirit. The same spirit that comes against me in Nepal when people are threatening my life is the same spirit that comes against me in Applebee's when I want to share my faith with the waitress, right? Because fear is not logical, it's spiritual. The Bible says that you have not inherited a spirit of fear. You have not inherited a spirit of fear. What does that mean? Fear is a spirit but of boldness and of love and of a sound mind. Church, I want to tell you something about the spirit of fear. I told you already that the devil is an imitator. That's been his MO since the beginning. He imitated God and got a third of the angels to follow him. He imitated the snake in the garden and deceived Eve. He masquerades as an angel of light. He prowls around like a lion. All he does for his entire existence is imitate. Church, the spirit of fear is a demonic spirit that imitates wisdom. Church, 
church, the, the, the Bible calls us to have wisdom over and over again. Wisdom is a very valuable thing to have, but you have to be able to discern when it's the spirit of fear imitating wisdom and when it's actually wisdom. Because oftentimes, wisdom that comes from God looks very different than wisdom that comes from the world. In fact, the Bible says that the foolish things of God are wiser than the wisdom of God. What does that mean? That sometimes things in God appear foolish to the wisdom of man, but they're still wiser. The foolish things of God are wiser than the wisdom of man. Church, we have to overcome the spirit of fear. We cannot be controlled by the spirit of fear or anxiety. Church, there is an epidemic of anxiety in this world that has gotten severely worse in the past year. There is an epidemic of anxiety. You know, before this all, before coronavirus, before this all happened, one in five Americans was diagnosed with anxiety disorder. One in, that's the diagnosed ones. Church, this is the number one trick that the devil is using around the world to get the church to stay quiet. And, and I, and I want to say something very boldly this morning because I want you to hear this. It is never God's will for you to feel afraid. It is never God's will for you to feel fear. I know that because the Bible commands you not to fear more than any other command in Scripture by far. There's not even a close second, right? Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. Be bold. Be courageous. Over and over and over again, the Bible commands us not to fear. One scholar counted all the times, and he came to the conclusion that 365 times the Bible commands us not to fear. That's one for every day of the year. So church, if you want to be afraid on February 29th every four years, that's your business. <laughs> every other day you have a verse for. It is never God's will for you to feel afraid. It, it tells me a couple things. The, the fact that it's the most repeated command in scripture tells me a couple things. The first thing that it tells me is that it is supremely important in the mind of God that we overcome fear. It is commanded more even than the command to love. You know why? Because you cannot love if you're motivated by fear. Fear and love. Yeah, I'm going to quote that. Don't get ahead of me. <laughs> fear and love are the two greatest motivators on earth. And you cannot be motivated by both at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. And in fact, in the mind of God, they're against each other. The Bible says that you have not inherited a spirit of fear, but of boldness and of love and of a sound mind. The Bible says that there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. Those who fear have not been perfected in love. Fear and love are opposed to each other. You cannot be motivated by both at the same time. It is supremely important to God that we overcome this. Thing. The second thing that it tells me, <laughs> the second thing that it tells me is that God knew that this would be one of our biggest struggles. So he commanded it over and over and over again. 
I'm not here to condemn anyone. If you've been struggling with fear, you've been struggling with anxiety, I'm not here to condemn you because if everyone here is honest, we've all either struggled with this in the past or are still struggling with it. <sighs> I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to call you out of it. It, I, it. it doesn't bother me how you came here. It bothers me how you leave here. And you are not going to leave with fear and anxiety in Jesus' name. <clears throat> it's time that we overcome the spirit of fear, church. You, you are called to live a life that is totally free from fear. You're called to live a life that is consumed by peace. <laughs> the Bible says in Colossians 3, verse 15, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called. <laughs> you hear that? To have peace ruling in your life is a calling. That means that if, if you have anxiety that's in your heart, fear in your heart, not only are you not taking advantage of everything that Jesus won for you on the cross, but there is literally an unfulfilled calling in your life. Church, you are called to peace. So what I want to do for the rest of my time this morning, church, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to move quickly, but I'm done with my intro now. <laughs> you guys are laughing because you think I'm joking. <laughs> Was that you that said that? He said he has all day, so if, if, if I go all day, you know it's his fault. It's not my fault. <laughs> no, but I'm going to try to be quick because I don't want it to become a hostage situation this morning. So I'm going to try to move quickly. Thank you, Jesus. But I want to I read a passage to you, and, and I want to teach you about the peace that you're called to have in life that overcomes anxiety, that overcomes fear. Amen? So go with me in your Bibles to the 14th chapter of John. I'm going to read verse 27. This is John 14, 27. Understand the context of this is Jesus talking, right? And, and he's getting ready to leave the disciples soon, right? And so he's starting to let them know that. He's starting to slowly let them know that he's going to be leaving them. That's something for them that would naturally cause anxiety, right? He's been their provision. He's been their protection. He's, he's been their leader. He's been everything. And now he's starting to let them know that he's going to leave them, right? So listen in that context, what he says to him in verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I want to give you three statements that Jesus makes in this passage that are absolutely powerful to me. The first thing that Jesus says in this verse, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. What does that tell you about the peace that Jesus is referring to? The first thing that it tells me is that the peace that Jesus had on earth and that he was leaving with his disciples was a tangible and experiential presence of peace. It had to make sense to them. So Jesus is saying, you know that peace that you experience when I walk in the room? You know that peace that every time you come around me, you feel that tangible peace that I carry? I'm leaving that with you. Church, we are called to have a peace that is a tangible, experiential presence of peace that literally changes the atmosphere when we walk into a room. 
That's the peace that we're called to have. And Jesus said, I'm leaving it with you. I'm leaving that presence of peace with you. But the second thing is even more incredible. This, this got me excited when I saw this. The second thing is even more incredible. He says, not only does he say my peace, I leave with you, but he says, my peace, I give to you. So not only is the peace that you are called to have experiential and tangible presence of peace, but it's literally giveable. It's transferable. <laughs> What, what does Jesus say when he sends out his disciples in Matthew 10? He says, he says, when you enter into a city, go into a house and stay there until you depart. He says, if that house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. Church, church you're called to have a peace that's so tangible, you could leave it in a house. <laughs> And it'll change the entire house. But church, if, if I don't get a couple more amens, I'll just keep preaching. The hungrier you get this morning, you better start saying amen more. <laughs> Go to Mark chapter 4. I want to read this passage to you. This is an absolutely powerful passage of Scripture. And, uh, and understand, again, what's happening is the disciples are at sea in a boat, and Jesus is sleeping underneath in the boat, right? And a huge storm picks up, so much that the waves are crashing over the boat, and the disciples, like the boat is sinking, right? So the disciples become anxious. They become afraid. And so what do they do? And honestly, they do something that probably most of us would do, right, in that situation. They get rebuked for it, but if we're being honest, we might do the same thing, right? They go, the, the boat's sinking, and Jesus is sleeping underneath in the boat. They go wake him up, right? And so they go and they wake up Jesus. What I love about, the first thing I love about this story is what does that tell you about the reality that Jesus lived in? That in the midst of a storm that was so violent that it was sinking the boat they were on, that he was sleeping through it. That, that tells me that the reality that Jesus lived in, the storm was not a cause for anxiety. He could have peace in the midst of the storm. Church, you can have peace in the midst of the storm. This is important to understand right now, church, because if you watch the news, there's a lot of storms. There's a lot of storms, and if you don't know, who, if you don't know who's with you, if you don't know what, what, what peace you're called to have, it's easy to fall into anxiety. You know, some, of, some of you might need to turn the news off. There are so many people that just shot glares at, at their husbands and dads. It was amazing to see. <laughs> so, listen, I, I'm not sanctified enough to watch too much of the news. Okay, I gotta turn it off sometimes, right? Some of you need to turn the news off. But, but the reality that Jesus lived in, the storm was not a cause for anxiety. He could have peace in the midst of it. Church, you can have peace in the midst of any political unrest. You can have peace in the midst of any pandemic. It doesn't matter what storm is in the world. You are called to have peace in the midst of it. So, th so this is what happens. They go down and they wake up Jesus and they say, Master, do you not care that we're perishing? <laughs> Listen to what he says. It says, and he awoke... 
And he does two things. I want you to notice this. He does two things. He awoke and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea. You see, he's doing two things. He rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Church, oftentimes our, our fear is, it really boils down to a lack of faith, right? But I want you to notice, this is what I love about this passage. Jesus does two things. The first thing he does is he takes authority over the source of the chaos. <laughs> See, Jesus had the wherewithal to understand what was happening in the situation. The sea was not the problem. The sea had been affected by an outside source. The storm was the problem. The storm was the source of the chaos. The sea had just been affected by it. Right? The disciples were worried about the sea. They were worried about the waves that were coming over the boat. Jesus gets up. He says, the sea is not the problem. So what does he do? He rebukes the source of the chaos. He rebukes the storm. Church, I want you to understand this morning that you have authority over the storm. You can rebuke the storms that are coming against you in your life. But you got to stand up. Jesus says, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can literally speak to a mountain and tell it to cast itself into the ocean and it's going to do it. It has to do it because you have been, you've been delegated authority from God as his ambassador on the earth. You are ambassadors of Christ. You have delegated authority over the storm, over the mountains. So that's what Jesus first does. He rebukes the storm. He rebukes the source of the chaos. And the Bible says the wind stops. But then, this is what I love, he takes it a step further. And he releases peace from himself into that which was affected by the chaos. <laughs> he speaks to the sea. And he says, peace, be still. And there was a great calm. He literally released peace from himself to overcome the chaos. Church, it's important for us to see the distinction because sometimes we want to rebuke the wrong thing. We spend all our time rebuking people. <laughs> we spend all our time rebuking political parties. Hey, oh, I just, I just kicked the golden calf for someone in here. Church. We have authority to rebuke the source of the chaos. We take authority over the demonic spirits that are influencing people. We take authority over the fear and the anxiety that are influencing people. And then we minister peace to the people that were affected by the chaos. This is what we're called to do as the followers of Jesus. Church, you are called to have a peace that is so tangible that when you walk into a room, it changes the atmosphere. That if you meet someone who's been affected by chaos and is anxious and fearful and chaotic, that you can literally minister peace to them in that moment. You have been given that authority and that ability. But church, if you show up into a chaotic situation and you become anxious, not only did you not overcome the chaos with your peace, but you contributed to it by your anxiety. 
This is why we have to overcome fear, church. We have to overcome anxiety because we're called to change the atmosphere everywhere we go with the peace that we carry. The second thing that Jesus says in this passage that's so powerful. He says, not as the world gives you, do I give you. Church, that means that we need a fundamentally new definition of peace. (laughs) It's not what the world calls peace. You know what the world calls peace is always the absence of something. If you look up peace in the, in the, in the dictionary, you're going to see the absence of war, the absence of noise, or the absence of problems. For the world, peace is the absence of something, so peace is situational. If your peace is the absence of problems, then what happens when a problem comes up? Your peace is gone. If your peace is the absence of noise, I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old at home. Don't come to my house. You're done. Church, this is a very important distinction for you to have. The peace that God calls us to is not the absence of a problem. It's the presence of a person. (laughs) The peace that we are called to have as Christians is the abiding presence of Jesus through his Holy Spirit in our lives. Church, we are called to live with such a peace, knowing uh, with a revelation that he is with us in every situation. So I don't care if I'm in my bed sleeping peacefully or if I'm in a foxhole. The same peace that I can have in my bed, I can have in a foxhole because it's not based on what's happening, what's happening around me. It's based on who lives within me. The Bible says... The Bible says that he himself is our peace. This is why the psalmist says, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. It's the revelation, church, of him being with you that allows you to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with a bold, audacious fearlessness. Because you know who's with you. It's the revelation of who's with me that allows me to preach a crusade when there's death threats on my life. Wisdom would have not, wisdom would have not preached that crusade. Fear disguises wisdom would have not preached that crusade. Church, it's, it's, it's the revelation of him being with me that allows me to stand in front of the central mosque in a Muslim city and preach the gospel. I've done that. I know who's with me. I, I literally, I don't remember what fear feels like. And that's not to say I didn't have to fight through it and overcome it for years because I did. But church, you can overcome it and live a life that is totally free from fear. That's what God wants for you this morning. But the third thing that Jesus says, and this is very important to understand, because the first two things are what he's going to do. I'm leaving you peace. I'm giving you peace. It's going to be a tangible, transferable presence. It's not what the world calls peace. It's something way better than that, right? So this is what he says. But then he says this. He says, now, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. In other words, church, he's giving you this peace, but you have a responsibility to keep your heart in it. 
to protect your heart, to keep it in the peace that he's given you. This is your responsibility. Could I have the band come and, and just begin to play? We're going to close in just a minute. There's a saying that we have in the States that I really don't like. I don't like this saying. <laughs> and I feel like now that I'm going to say it, probably somebody has it tattooed on their bodies. <laughs> If you do, come see me after the service and I'll pay for the cover-up. Okay? We have a saying. We say, follow your heart. It's not a good saying. If you spend your life following your heart, you will follow it back into fear and anxiety over and over again because the heart has a propensity to want to protect itself. We're not called to follow our hearts. We're called to protect our hearts. We're called to lead our hearts. We're called to guard our hearts. We're called to keep our hearts in the peace that Jesus left for us. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Church, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to pray for you guys. And I'm going to believe God this morning for an impartation of peace. I just, I believe this so much that we're called to have a peace that can minister to the people around us. And I, I want to do that this morning. I'm going to pray for an impartation of peace. I'm going to pray that fear and anxiety would be broken in the name of Jesus this morning. That if you came in here and you've been struggling with fear, struggling with anxiety, you're not walking out with it. It's going to break off. But church, as that happens this morning, when you leave here, you have a responsibility. You have to keep your hearts in that peace. So I want to give you three things very, very quickly. That Three destroyers of peace. Three things that will destroy the peace that Jesus intends for you to have. The first thing, the first destroyer of peace is prayerlessness. Neglecting the prayer closet will destroy the peace that God has intended you to have. The Bible says in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, it says, Do not be anxious for anything. Do not be Look at your neighbor and tell him, don't be anxious for anything. It's never God's will for you to be anxious for anything. It doesn't matter if you think there's a logical reason. Don't be anxious for anything. But in all things, by prayer and supplications, with thanksgiving, that means with faith. Already thanking God that it's done as you pray it. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And listen to what will happen if you do that. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Church, just like fear is not based on understanding, neither is peace. <laughs> it surpasses it. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Church, it is impossible to leave the place of prayer anxious. <laughs> Some of you are questioning what I just said. <laughs> Understand, I didn't say it's impossible to pray an anxious prayer and leave anxious. But the place of true prayer, the, the place of prayer with faith, with thanksgiving, it's impossible to leave that place anxious. That's the first thing, church. You need to guard your heart from prayerlessness. It's easy for it to creep in in our busy culture, but you need to guard your heart from prayerlessness. 
set aside every day at least one hour that's the minimum wage <laughs> at least one hour a day to be in the presence of God that's the first thing the second thing the second destroyer of peace is lawlessness sin the Bible says in 1 Peter 2 11 it says abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul church the passions of the flesh are willful sin I want you to I want you to know from that verse you can have peace when the war is outside of you but you can't have peace when the war is in your soul abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul church if you allow sin in your life there will be an internal war that will destroy the peace that Jesus is calling you to have if you're here today and you've been allowing sin in your life the good news is that his mercies are new every morning and if you confess your sins he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness every day is a blank slate with Jesus but you have to overcome them because they will destroy your peace The final destroyer of peace is thoughtlessness, not controlling your thought life. This is one of the major ones that I see around me. A lot of Christians never learn how to control their mind. The Bible says that those whose mind is stayed on God have great peace. <laughs> Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, I take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. A lot of people never learn how to take their thoughts captive. In church, if you don't learn how to take your thoughts captive, your thoughts will absolutely take you captive. Every time that fearful thought, every time that anxious thought pops in your head, oh, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? Every time that anxious thought pops in your mind, you have to, in that moment, take it captive and make it obedient to Christ. You say, no, I will not listen to you fear because I know who's with me. I know who's in the valley with me. I know my God will never leave me nor forsake me. I know that he's promised to be with me even to the end of the age. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him and behold he's with you always even to the ends of the age but you have to take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ when that anxious thought pops in your head there will be a captive taken either you will take it captive and make it obedient to Christ or it will take you captive and make you obedient to fear Bible says in Romans 8 it says to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and what peace church your thought life will determine your peace life stand to your feet with me I'm gonna close we're gonna close with a song and with prayer Jesus. Holy Spirit, move in this place.
right now in Jesus' name, I tear down fear. I tear down anxiety in the name of Jesus. Move in this place, Holy Spirit. Move by your power right now. Move by your spirit, God. The first thing that I want to do, I'm going to pray for an outpouring of peace in just a moment, but the first thing that I want to do today, I always want to give this opportunity. If there's anyone here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, nothing else I said today matters if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Because the Bible says that He Himself is our peace. It's His presence. It's knowing Him that allows us to have peace in the valley of the shadow of death. And church, I want to give you an opportunity in just a moment. If you're here today and you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to raise your hand in just a moment and pray a prayer with me. There's going to be, it's going to be the, the, the first step. This, this, is not, this is not a get out of hell free card. Okay, this is the first step in a lifelong relationship with the king of the universe who wants to be your father, who wants to adopt you. Church, I believe that the Spirit of God is here this morning. And I believe that God is asking each of you that same question that He asked me 13 years ago in a prison chapel. Are you ready? Are you ready to surrender to Him? So with every eye closed, every head bowed in this place, if that's you and you say, I'm ready to surrender to Jesus, I need Jesus in my life. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand wherever you are right now? Lift up your hand. Wherever you are, thank you. I see your hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wherever you are in this place, just lift up your hands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. There's a party in heaven right now, church. There's a celebration. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a prayer, and I want everyone to repeat after me. Even if you don't have your hands raised, you can give them support. Just repeat this prayer after me. This is going to be a prayer of surrender. Say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and that you died on a cross for my sins. I know I've made mistakes and I need your forgiveness. I'm asking you to forgive me today to come into my life. I surrender to you Fill me with your spirit. From this day forward, I am yours. Thank you for your peace. Thank you that I'm a saint. Thank you that I'm a son of God. That my past is forgiven. And my future is secure in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Give God a, give God a round of applause. if you prayed that prayer for either the first time or for the first time in a long time <laughs> I want you to come see me before you leave here because I just want to encourage you and pray with you but right now we're going to go into a song we're going to go into uh, this song to close in prayer and worship but if you're here today and you just need a, a special touch from God to overcome fear to overcome anxiety you need God to minister peace to you if that's you this morning I want you to make your way down to the front as we worship
because I'm, I'm just going to believe God for an outpouring of his peace that anxiety and fear is going to be totally broken off you in Jesus' name. You just right now, wherever you are, you can begin to make your way down to the front. There's X's you can stand on up here in the front. Just make your way down. Hallelujah. If, if, you're, if, you're, if you're staying in your seat during this time, I, I just want you to worship God like crazy. And I want you to pray for the people who are up here. And I'm just believing God for an outpouring of peace right now. In Jesus' name, God, I thank you for an outpouring of your peace. I tear down fear and anxiety in the name of Jesus. Every spirit of fear, I command it to go right now in Jesus' name. It has no place in this building. It has no place in the lives of the children of God. I rebuke fear in Jesus' name. Go. Anxiety be broken right now in the name of Jesus. And Father, I thank you for an outpouring of peace. Jesus. Peace. 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 In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just begin to worship Him.
As we just continue to stand in his presence this morning to wait on the Lord, uh, we understand that there is still the rest of the day calling to some of you, and so we just want you to be blessed as you go this morning. We thank you so much for be open to being open to his spirit this morning and to, to being open to the words that Jesse has brought to us and to responding the way that you have today. Know that God is faithful, that he is doing a work in you right now, and he will continue to do a work in you. That because of who he is, because we are his children, because of his great love for us, he will continue to bless you this day, even as you go from here. So would the Lord bless you and keep you? Would he make his face to shine upon you? Would he be gracious to you? That you would feel his spirit and his presence in your lives. That you would know that you are his. He has called you and he has a purpose and a plan for you. And part of that is to walk in the peace that he has given to you. To not be afraid, but to go with boldness and confidence knowing that he goes with you every step of the way, that he is your peace, that he is your refuge and shelter, and that he will carry you through. So we thank you, Jesus. We bless your name today. And we honor you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. If you just want to remain here in his presence, you're welcome to do that.